this new hymn from the Gettys. If you notice in the last verse, Son of Adam, Son of Heaven, given as a ransom. It's what we talked about last week, was born of a woman. Why that was absolutely necessary for our salvation, given as a ransom, reconciling God and man, Christ, our mighty champion, reconciling why? Why was there a need for reconciliation? That's what we talk about today. We're in Galatians 4, beginning with verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, words uh, written so long ago, given by you to your people. And that means to us. Lord, we pray that today you would help us to listen as we would to a father who tells his children the most important things. Give us ears to hear and hearts to hear and wills to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you give a gift, <coughs> and I, I hope you all are getting down to that point where you can just know and, and say, okay, we're, we're done with that in terms of uh, getting the gifts, but here's what's going to happen. Some of the, the gifts you give are because you know somebody's going to give you a gift, and so you say, well, i, I got to get so-and-so something because... They're going to get me something. And then there's going to be those last-minute things where somebody you weren't expecting to give you something gives you something, and you say, oh, no, I'm not done. I've got to go out and get something for so-and-so. You do it out of obligation then. There, of course, are those gifts that you give out of genuine Love, purely wanting to give. You want a gift that will keep on giving. Now, we are beyond the phase for our children, but in front of the phase of buying toys. We're beyond the phase for our children because they're pretty big. You saw most of them here today. Uh, uh, One daughter and her husband aren't here. And uh, 
we're in front of it because of our granddaughter, so we're going to get the pleasure of doing that again. But I've always enjoyed looking at toys and the ads for toys. Uh, I saw, and if you need to know where you can buy this, I'll be glad to tell you, there is an ad for Potty Dottie. It's a talking Dottie that comes with her bottle and potty. Now, what more could you want? Uh, she talks and, and so on. Then there, uh, I believe on the same page, <laughs> was an ad for some games. And one of them was uh, Mall Madness. Now, isn't that a game you'd want to play? And uh, the, the subtitle under Mall Madness is the shopping spree game that talks. Okay, once again. But to me, the, the classic that I, I have seen is this. It is a last, and I've got the ad right here, the Last Supper musical clock. Now, it's got a, a picture of that painting of the Last Supper on a clock, but, he, but here's the real beauty of it. It plays the hallelujah chorus on the hour. Every hour it plays the hallelujah chorus. So, Mark, does that mean you would need to stand up every hour out of respect for the hallelujah chorus? That's, uh, now, that is the gift, folks, that keeps on giving, Okay. It does say you can program it to sleep from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., so I, that's one, uh, one good thing about it. Uh, I want to tell you today about uh, uh, the real gift that does keep on giving. Suppose, and I know because I know what some of you have gone through recently and what some of you are going through now, I know that some of you are facing some real burdens in your life. For some of you, it's financial. It might be a loss in your life. It may be a relationship issue, an emotional issue. And it seems that, that this time of year, those things just become magnified before and after Christmas. In fact, for some people, Christmas reminds them of those difficult things. But suppose you (coughs) found yourself in the middle of a, a real trial, a real burden, but someone said to you this, on Christmas Day, that burden will go away and you will not have to deal with it Again. Would that be good news to you? It would be incredible news. That's what we're talking about today. I won't for a moment stand here and tell you that coming to Christ will take away all of your burdens. You know better than that. We all know better than that. But there is a burden that you do not have to bear. And it is the one that when Jesus came into this world, the people of that day were bearing, they were being crushed under 
this great weight. If you look in Galatians 4, verse 4, it says this, when the fullness of time had come, and we have talked about, if you haven't been here this month, we've talked about each one of these phrases. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The people of Jesus' day were under the crushing burden of the law. Now, in what sense? Well, if you look at the requirements in Jesus' day, all you got to do is to go back to the Old Testament and see how they accumulated. In fact, here's a way, if you want to know how burdensome it had become. Some of you will, uh, with all the best intentions on New Year's Day, make a resolution. I'm going to read through my Bible this year. I'm not talking about a one-year Bible or anything like that, but you're saying, I want to read through my Bible. And you will start, and you will begin reading through, and you'll get, uh, if you're very disciplined, you will get through the book of Genesis. Because there are some fascinating accounts in there in the book of Genesis and they will remind you of things and you'll say this is good I'm I'm enjoying this and then you will get to the book of Exodus if you are very disciplined and you'll get partway through that and the farther you get through it if you get through that book the harder it will become because partway through you get the Ten Commandments and then they begin to expand And if you are uh, very, very disciplined, you will get into the book of Leviticus or even Numbers and you will, at that point, unless you're in a very tiny percentage of people, you will say, that's it, I can't can't do this anymore. I have wrecked that New Year's resolution. I'm not going to lose weight and I'm not going to read through my Bible this year. It's just not going to happen. Now, why is that? Because you get into those books and you see that not only is there the Ten Commandments, but then there's the exegesis of the Ten Commandments. All of the things that the commandments mean. And you see there is law after law, all of them good for the people of God. Some of them for their health, some of them for their worship, but they accumulate. And then... If you, if you uh, take those things, and by the way, the easiest way to look at it, you look in Genesis, what do you have? In the garden, there is one requirement. Don't eat of this tree. Then in Exodus, we get the Ten Commandments. Ten. But then we see them expand greatly and all the way through the Old Testament. And then... By the time you got to the New Testament, not only did you have all of those laws that God had given to his people, but you had all of those that that rabbis and teachers of the day had piled on top of those. Ones that some, even in this day, are trying to obey. And so it became to where it was impossible very quickly to keep those commandments. 
And so the faithful Jew would wake up in the morning and they would know that they didn't go very far into their day before they were breaking God's law right and left, even if they had every intention of being faithful to God. What a burden to live under. So, what do we see with Jesus in terms of those requirements? In Matthew 5, verse 17, and this is a a, a part of... uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says this. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the word used there in the original language for f- fulfill is the word to fill up. And so the idea is this, that when the law was given... They were in some sense a shadow, maybe even a shell of that which was to come because all of them pointed to the need for Christ. And so when Christ came, he filled it, he fulfilled it. Now, really, when you think of it, there were only two options. Because God gives the law to his people and His people cannot keep the law. But God desires fellowship with His people. So the options, at least as I see it, are He had to either abolish the law, say, there's no use for this, or make it so it could be fulfilled. And that's where Christ came in. What did he do? Think about his life from the very beginning. The very first thing that takes place, circumcision, days into his life. Forty days later, Mary's purification at the temple and then the redemption of the firstborn where they paid five shekels to the temple to redeem the firstborn. That was in fulfillment of Exodus 13, remembering the Passover at that point. Now, you got to stop and think about these for a moment because even, for instance, you have circumcision, which is a sign of God's covenant with man. Now, we have looked at the doctrine of Jesus being fully God. So in essence, he ought to be on that side of the covenant, the giver of the covenant, the giver of the promise and the requirements. And he was. But then we see him come and deliberately put himself on the other side of the covenant. Saying, not only have I given these requirements, but since you can't fulfill them, I will fulfill them. And they were fulfilled in Christ. So we have Christ on both sides of the covenant, the giver and the receiver, the one who makes the requirements and the one who fulfills the requirements in our place. Beyond that, we see him keeping the whole law for his people. He never broke even one of the Ten Commandments. He followed the biblical pattern for worship. He went to Jerusalem to keep the feast. He celebrated Passover. He did everything that the law required. Now, 
how did Jesus, the lawgiver, how did, how did he view his role with the law? Here's what he does. If you, if you look in Matthew 5 through 7 again, we're not going to look at it because it's a big section. But what he does is two things. And they're going to sound contradictory at first, so I want you to stay with me. What he does is this. He heightens the requirement of the law and he simplifies the requirement of the law. Now let me explain what I mean by that. He says, for I tell you, this is uh, Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That was bad news. That was bad news for those trying to keep the law. Did you hear what he said? He talked about the scribes and Pharisees. Now, now in that day, they were the people that anyone would look at and say, look, if anyone's keeping the law, they are keeping it. By everything they're saying, by everything they're doing, as far as we can see, they are keeping the law. I want to be like that scribe or Pharisee so that I too can keep the law. And then Jesus comes along and he says, look, you've got to be way better than they are. You have to be way beyond what they are if you want the kingdom of heaven. And so it's bad news for them. Then then what, what can we do? Well, Jesus continues to ratchet it up. He says, well, listen, here's why. You may be looking at the outward on these scribes and and Pharisees. But he said, here's the way it is. In the Old Testament, it talked about how you shouldn't murder. And some of you are saying, well, I've never murdered. Well, if you've hated in your heart, then you've murdered. You're guilty. If you've called your brother a fool, you've murdered him. And some of you are saying, well, you know, it, it says in the Old Testament, I shouldn't commit adultery. And, and you're saying, well, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus comes along and he says, you know what, if you've even lusted after someone else in your heart, you've committed adultery. You're guilty. And so, they were on their heels saying, well, what can we do? There's no hope then for me. And so he heightens the requirements of the law and then in the same sermon... He simplifies the law. Now notice, that sounds contradictory. I didn't say he makes it simple to fulfill. I said he simplifies it. Here's how. He says in Matthew 7, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Here's what he does. You know, For some who would say, look, there, there are these... Hundreds of laws, I can't even keep track of them. I don't even know what ones I'm breaking anymore. He says, don't worry. Let me boil it down for you. Treat others the way you wish to be treated. Some have called that the golden rule. And he said, if you do that, you're going to fulfill all of these laws that have been laid out. You know the problem with that? That was bad news too. Because people had to say to themselves, you know what, I don't treat people that way. And I I can't honestly say that I intend to treat 
everyone that way. There's people I know I won't. So what's it mean for us? For them, it became a huge burden. For some of you, it ought to be a burden if you don't have another answer. So what happens with the believer? Well, in Galatians 4, verse 5, it says, He came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To redeem those, that's the word that in that day was used to buy a slave into freedom. You buy them to set them free. That's the redemption. And that's what he did for his people. But here's the better news. He didn't buy us just to say, now go on and do your best. He bought us into freedom and adopted us into his family. That's what we're going to be talking about Christmas Eve. I cannot wait. Of all the doctrines, that one may be my favorite. That I know that's risky to ever say that. But the doctrine of adoption is so meaningful. That's what he did. Now look at the progression. We're going to do this very quickly for the law uh, with the believer. Before you come to Christ, Romans 3 verse 20, for the works of the law, no human being will, will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This, this is it in summary. The law has value. Here's what the value is. We see the law and it shows us where we are offending God. If we didn't see the law, we wouldn't know where we are offending God. It's like being out in a part of South Carolina you don't know. You're out on country roads and you, you think all of a sudden, I wonder what the speed limit is here. And you're just going along your merry way. And then you see all of a sudden, which can happen in South Carolina, I promise you, it's 25, <laughs> you know, on this highway. And usually when it turns 25, there's a policeman right next to it too. But what does that do? Well, it shows you where you're breaking the law. Otherwise, you'd be going on, you wouldn't even know. And that's what the law does. It says, look, and if, you know, if God didn't tell us where we were offending him, we would never know. So he says, here is where uh, I'm, I'm offended because of sin. And then secondly, when we come to Christ, Galatians 3, 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So here's the question with that. When we come to Christ, and, and you can't, you, you, you don't uh, come into the kingdom by obeying the law. We've established that. You can't. So we, we come to Christ. So do we need to obey the law? Where does it fit in? That's after coming to Christ, what the role of the law is for us in Romans 3.31. Paul, who was so good at anticipating questions, said this. Do we then overthrow the law, Romans 3.31, by this faith? In other words, do we get rid of the law when we come to faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So we come to faith, and that faith leads us to right action. In uh, 1 John 2, it says, And by this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. 
See, the problem is that, that many people get that backwards. They think, okay, if I want to come into the kingdom, if I want a relationship with God, I got to get my life together. I got to start obeying uh, all of God's law and uh, get rid of all these bad habits, and then I will make myself acceptable to God. And they start with that. And the problem with that is you never get there. You can't unless you're perfect and you're not. And so instead, we come to Christ who did fulfill the law and Christ in us. He enables us to begin being obedient and loving and worshiping and treating others the way we wish to be treated. So let's look at the application. There is one more way that Jesus kept the law, and that's in his death on the cross. Galatians makes it clear. Christ redeemed us, it says in Galatians 3.13, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You see, uh, because we couldn't obey the law, we had to be cursed. We had to pay for that. And it says he became the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When Christ came under the law, he came under its curse. He fulfilled the law by being that, that perfect ceremonial lamb for us on the cross. Born under the law. Fulfilling law. And redeeming those under the law. You know, we sing, it came upon a midnight clear. One of the uh, stanzas in there says, And ye, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low. You, you who are just being crushed by the burdens of the law and this life, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. What was the message of the angels? It was the gospel. Here's how Jesus put it. To those same people who were slumped, who were uh, hunched over because of the burden of the law upon them that they could not fix. Here's how he put it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. Now, in that day, when a, a rabbi or a teacher would teach, his body of teaching was called a yoke. And so when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he was saying, that which I'm teaching let that be upon you instead of this other great burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So here's the deal. If you're tired of <coughs> trying in your own strength to change yourself, you can do it for a while. You can make little changes but ultimately you're going to run out of gas. 
you're going to burn out like a candle because we can't change ourselves. And if you're trying to save yourself by obedience, by your own attempt at religion, it's not going to work. You're going to be under just a different burden, just a different kind of slavery. Because here's what Jesus said. Where you've failed, I didn't. In fact, where you have failed, I paid for your failure. That sin. And what you could only start, I finished. I know because through the years I've talked with a lot of people who think this way. If I receive Christ... I'm going to become a a slave to some religion. I'm going to have to give up things I love and I'm going to have to start doing things that I I don't want to do. And I'll just be a, a slave to that. Here's the irony. You know what God is saying here? You're a slave now. You are a slave to your own God, whatever that is. And don't tell me you don't have a God. Even if you're an atheist, you have something that is the most important thing to you. We are made to have a God and to worship, whether it's your intellect or your finances or your family or your uh, being able to rationalize, whatever it is. You've got to decide, what will I be a servant of or a slave of? What will I worship? But there is a freedom. Listen to what Paul said. And Paul was on both sides of this issue. You see, he had been there on the other side where he had uh, had all of the credentials of the religious people and he had tried to keep the law. He said this in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He understood that he never tasted freedom until he came to know Christ. And it was only there that he had his first taste of real freedom. He knew he was a slave before that. He was under that burden that he could not shake. Listen, religion religion is what people try to do to... to, uh, Get to God. You look at the great religions of the world. You know what they're about? They tell you, this is what you must do. This and this and this in order to work your way to God. There's one that stands alone different than that. And that's Christianity. Because Christianity tells us everything God did to get to us. That's his great gift to us. That's the gift of the Lord Jesus. The true gift. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together.